What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little? That question, what did you want to be? Like, just saw first man yesterday. So everybody wanted to be an astronaut, right? Um, anything to do with sports I wanted to be. Maybe anybody have anything weird, like maybe you wanted to be a rodeo clown or something? You wanted to be what? A what? Oh, you wanted to be a cowboy. Darcy, that would be funny. Uh, <laughs> see you in your boots and chaps, your spurs. Be awesome. Well, how'd that work out for us all, right? We probably didn't. Darcy didn't end up being a, a cowboy, and I definitely didn't make it in sports and all the other things. One of you didn't become a rodeo clown. But the deal is, the reason I, and I say that is sometimes when we ask our kids or you ask a young person, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or even maybe a little deeper, what do you want to do with your life? I think that's the wrong question. And we, if you're parents of, of young kids today or grandparents, help your kids with a better question. And that better question is, what does God want to do with my life? Not what do I want to do with my life, but why, what does God want to do with my life? And I'll ask you this this morning. What if I could tell you that I know exactly what God wants to do with your life. You would either think I'm very arrogant. Please don't think that way. I'm an approval addict. I need you to love me. <laughs> or you're going to lean in and say, okay, tell me. Regardless of what age we're at, what season of life we're in, I know why you exist. You exist to bring glory to God. You exist to worship God. You exist to give your affections of your life to God, every part of you. That's how, what, and what's interesting in that is, if I can grasp that I exist to glorify God, then the next question is, well, how am I going to do that? The Bible says whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So the freedom comes back to you and I. If you want to be a lawyer to the glory of God, then practice law to the glory of God, or a coach, or a teacher, or an artist, or whatever you want to do, you can do that to the glory of God when you see every aspect of your life as worship. Um, today, we're kind of coming to a head. Next week, we're going to finish this series that we've been going through called Seven Miles. And what we've been doing is, in, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus dies on the cross, and he's buried. In Luke 24, he rises from the dead, just as he said he would on the third day. And where we picked up this seven miles was after Jesus was resurrected, he found two guys on this road to Emmaus. It was a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as I was studying this, I realized this is our life. It's seven miles represents, each mile represents our walk with Jesus. And so Jesus finds these guys talking, and they're bummed out because they had seen Jesus die on the cross, but they didn't recognize him as the risen Savior yet. And so as they walk the seven miles, and, they, and Jesus begins to explain to them that the Messiah, he, from the Hebrew Scriptures, he shows them the Messiah had to suffer and die and be raised on the third day. Well, they, once they get to Emmaus, they go to their house, and they invite Jesus in for a meal. And Jesus breaks the bread, and their eyes are open to recognize that it's Jesus. 
that he was, you know, their hopes and dreams didn't die when Jesus was buried, but he did exactly what he said he, he was going to do because they were waiting for a military Messiah. They were waiting for a general that was going to restore Israel back to power and all of that, but they didn't realize that, that the, the Messiah had to come first as a suffering, meek Messiah for us who are weak and us who recognize that we're weak. And so Jesus breaks the bread. Their eyes are open to see who he is. He disappears from their sight. And then it says that they looked at each other and they said, weren't our hearts burning when he was explaining the scriptures to us? Like, how did we not recognize? And then they walk back to Jerusalem. They take that seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem. And as soon as they get to the 11 apostles, Jesus, and they say, they tell him, Jesus is alive. He's risen as he said he was going to. And the, at that moment, Jesus comes and he appears to them. And he begins to explain to the apostles um, about the, the, from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer, die, and rise on the third day. And he opens their eyes, too, so that they understand. And last week, we talked about how he empowered them with truth told them to go wait for the Holy Spirit, which was going to be poured out on them so that they could tell this amazing news of, of the death and resurrection of Christ and His coming again one day. So this is where we're going to pick it up then, in verses 50. It says, Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting His hands to heaven, He blessed them. And while He was blessing them, He left them and was taken to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. Mile six of this journey, if I, if I just really quick by recap, mile one was walking with Jesus. Mile two was recognizing Jesus. Mile three was doubting Jesus. Mile four was knowing Jesus. Last week, mile five was being empowered by Jesus. Today, we're going to look at worshiping Jesus as part of our walk and what we were created for. Let me give you four truths about worship. You can write, write these down. When I worship Jesus, I'm doing the main thing I was created to do. When you and I give our affection to Jesus, when we worship him, and the, the root word for worship is worth-ship. When we declare his worth, his glory, who he is, we're doing the main thing that we were created to do. Now, prior to, to becoming a Christian, and I, I bet you all can relate to this, I spent the first 25 years of my life trying to figure out why I existed. So whatever pipe dream, um, you know, things I wanted to do with my life, quote unquote, what did I want to be when I grow up, I searched everywhere. And it wasn't until Jesus found me that I realized I exist for him and that I don't exist for myself. And my life is about him. And if I build my life on him and follow him, my life will, will unfold exactly how it's supposed to. And I hope that makes sense to you because that's, and I'm not saying that in any kind of bragging way. I just remember going, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? I've spent 25 years making a wreck of it. What do you want to do with my life from here. And maybe somebody needs to be reminded of that today, regardless of where you're at. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
And it's not about you, and it's not about me, it's about him. One of my favorite passages about the supremacy and, and glory of Jesus is found in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Here's what it says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Catch that. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So if you and I were created to worship, when you and I worship him, we're doing the very thing that we're created to do. And, and a couple thoughts on this. Worship, when you and I worship, not just in song, but, but it's a huge part, gift that God gave us to sing songs to him. When we put our affection on him, it deepens our relationship. It really does. When you worship God, and I know some people's you know, kind of pathway to feel close to God or to grow in God is enthusiastic, expressive worship, right? That's some of, that's, in some of us, when we read the Bible and we see a new truth, that's when we feel close to God. But all of us were created to worship Him and to have that deeper relationship with Him. And so if that's what I was created to do, that's what I better be doing, right? I think sometimes we get the, you know, if you have a car, you buy a brand new nice car, but it just sits in your garage and you don't drive it, then that's not what that car was intended to do, right? you got to put the key in and go drive it and enjoy it. We were created to worship, so let's let our lives that be the focus of our lives. Worship, when we worship Jesus, it makes us aware of his presence. I mean, that is one of the big things that I always pray when we come together to worship, that you and I would recognize his presence. We would sense his presence. And that's when real change happens in each one of our, our lives. And the benefit of corporate worship, of coming together on Sundays... And, and worship doesn't have to just happen on, for an hour on Sundays. Your whole life, as we, this, we unpack this this morning, is a lifestyle of worship. But when we come together corporately, we were doing the thing we were created to do together. And it's so important that we remember that. Like, excuse me, when you have a fire and you have a bunch of coals in a fire, I'm picturing a fire right there, that's why I'm pointing at that. There's a fire, and you take the, the one coal out of that fire, and it's, it's not with the other hot coals anymore. What ends up happening to this coal? It cools off. So the importance of coming together corporately is you watch yourself. If you're not around other believers and worshiping together, your heart's going to cool off a little bit. Your affection is going to cool off. But when we get that coal back together with the other hot coals, it begins to be hot again. And the benefit of that is coming together. And I know on a typical Sunday morning, it happened to you already. You had a hard time getting out of bed. You looked out and you saw snow and thought, hmm, they'll be fine without me. Nobody's going to miss me. I don't, do I have any duties today? Hmm, this sure feels good. I get that. Uh, I didn't sleep so good last night. I was like, oh boy, some more sleep would be wonderful. 
Then you're trying to get your kids, get yourself together to go to church, let alone maybe your kids. And all the the thing you drove here and you got in a fight with your spouse over something stupid, right? Some of you are going, was he watching me or how did he know that? I just know how this works. Because there is an enemy who wants to distract you subtly so that you don't come and gain the benefits of corporate worship together, of pouring out our hearts together to God. And I think on a typical Sunday when you're coming to gather, like it does take some preparation to prep your heart that, you know, you, you start focusing on the Lord before you hit the doors of the church. You know, you, you begin to focus on Him as you're driving and pray and, you know, ask God to prepare your heart because Years ago, I had this illustration come to mind. I'm sure I didn't get this on my own. I'm not that profound. But the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer just checks the temperature of a room. It'll tell you how hot or cold it is. A thermostat controls the temperature of a room. And often, especially on that typical Sunday when you're already going, "Mm, do I want to be here or... I'm frustrated or something happened, it's so easy to walk in to church and just go, I'm going to be a thermometer. It's 60, I'll I'll be 60 degrees. Instead of, you know what, Lord, I want to come in and not bring any show to yourself or cheerlead during worship, but God, I want to express to you and be a thermometer in this room where we all, not a thermometer, a thermostat where we all come together and we turn the heat up in our worship to God. Because sometimes I've heard people say before, like, I didn't get much out of worship. And that's always really bugged me because it's not about us. It's not what we get out of worship. What did God get out of my worship? Did he get my affection? Did he get the best of my heart? Second thing is this. When I worship Jesus, I'm deepening the roots of my faith. I'm deepening the roots of my faith. Singing songs of worship is a great way to remember truth. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. So let this message about Christ, that's what we were just singing, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in his love. I've had uh, the Jeremy Camp song, The Same Power That Rose Jesus From The Grave Lives In Us. Stuck in my head. Well, that's a good thing to have stuck because that's just Romans 8, chapter, I mean, Romans 8, verse 11. That the Holy Spirit, that same spirit power that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. So the more I sing, the more I worship, the deeper my faith is going. And so when you and I worship, we're expressing our faith. And the more you express your faith, the deeper your faith is going to be. That's why it's important, and I'm a stickler on this, that. Songs that we sing to to God in worship need to be biblical. They need to be doctrinally correct. There's a place for love songs to God, and I get that, and I'm I'm not up here trying to be the worship guy, but songs do need to express truth so that I can grow in my faith. And without sounding critical, please don't hear that, but songs that, that ask God for more of Him are not biblically correct. We have everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. We have every spiritual blessing. We don't need more of him. He needs more of me. He needs more of my heart. I love old hymns. 
And I didn't grow up in church. And so old hymns to me, like, you know, I just read the words and I'm struck by the power of the words of old hymns. Um, but sometimes if you go to like hymns and you hear the music, I'm like, ah, that's not very good music, right? It's like, forgive me if you love old hymns, you know, email Brian. But um, if you love, but the words to old hymns I love, and I love it when, you know, Mike and the team or somebody out there takes an old hymn and puts it to some rock and roll, like some drums and some bass and, and modernize it because the music itself is indifferent. What do the words say? This old song, Before the Throne of, of God Above, says this. This is an old, this was written 100 years ago or more. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while with God he stands, no tongue can bid me to depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's good. That's important that we have that truth before us. Um, third thing about truth about worship is when I worship Jesus through music and songs, I'm learning how to pray. Some of you struggle in your prayer life because you, you feel like you don't know how to pray. How do I pray? Well, prayer is simple. It is just talking to God. But the more you learn how to sing and the more you worship Him, worship is a form of prayer. Prayer is a form of worship. And so when you Sing to, to God, you're learning how to pray. Colossians 3.16, the second part of that verse says, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful heart. The psalms were the prayer book of Jesus. Did you know that? The psalms were how Jesus would have learned how to pray. As he read through the Hebrew scriptures, because all of the psalms, there's 150 of them, they were songs written to be sung to, to God. And if you and I heard the music to what those would have been tuned to, we would have been going, whoa, it's a total different tune. But you can sing the Psalms and make melody in your heart to God, and as you do that, you're learning how to pray. Fourth truth about worship is this. When I worship, spiritual battles are won. Spiritual battles are won as you and I worship Jesus and we get our eyes on him. Here's a fact. There is a real devil. And because there is a real devil, there's a real battle going on around us. There's, you, you think it's coincidence of things that you go through in your life or when you're tempted to be angry or impatient or all of that. It's, it's the flesh and the devil working hand in hand. And he's working overtime to screw up all of our lives. And so we have to be prepared for his tactics of deception and temptation and intimidation that he does. And so when you and I focus on God, when we worship Jesus, we're, we're going to win spiritual battles. A.W. Tozer said, many Christians view this world as a playground rather than a battleground. But dang, 
that really rocked me. Because we would, we would rather view the world around us as, you know, hey, this is, this is life. We can have heaven on earth. It's so easy to get caught into that. But if you really have a biblical worldview, a gospel worldview, you're going to realize that as good as life can be at times this, on earth, this isn't heaven. We are actually strangers passing through in a strange land. Like we're foreigners, we're aliens, the Bible says, because the kingdom of God has not been fully recognized yet, and it won't be fully recognized until Jesus returns and creates the new heavens and the new earth. So in our life here, we are more in a battleground than anything else. And there's a battle over the souls of people. There's battle over communities. There's battles going on over your children's lives, over your life, over your marriage. That's why coming together and praying and worshiping as couples is so important. All the little deceptions that are there, all the problems that we have, become smaller when I worship God and see His greatness. The greater understanding that I have of who God is and His character, His attributes, His promises, then the smaller my problems tend to be when we focus on Him. In Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, David writes this. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. Did you catch that? God is our deliverer. Now, I was reading an article this week by by John Eldridge, and he said, we don't understand the concept of God being our deliverer because we want him to be our preventer. God, prevent bad things to happen in my life. God, please prevent a health crisis. Please prevent difficulties in all the... And I can relate to that. Can you relate to that? But, and you know what? He is a preventer. Who knows the number of accidents and things that he's prevented happening in our life or sicknesses or whatever. But in his sovereignty, sometimes stuff just happens. Sometimes life just hits us upside the head. And we're going, how in the world did this happen? That's when you need to recognize him as your deliverer. Because a deliverer delivers you out of your struggle. He delivers you out of your problem and the things that you're going through. And as I was praying through this, I I started thinking, I had to ask this question. What are you going through today that you need him to be your deliverer? Is it relational, financial, health? Who knows? Temptation, a habit to be broken. He promises to be our deliverer. Let's shift gears. How are we to worship? A couple real simple points to kind of wrap this all up, that worshiping Jesus is part of our walking with Him. How do we do it? What does it look like? Because to somebody, worship could be, you know, enthusiastic, jumping up and down worship, and certainly that could be. Worship looks like a lot of different things when it comes to understanding it basically as a lifestyle. But, but the first thing that Jesus said about worship is that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. He said God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Well, I, I think it means to worship in spirit is to worship from my heart. 
And to worship in truth is to worship with my mind. In, in a sense, worship, uh, worshiping in spirit is how we're to worship. Worshiping in truth is whom we're worshiping. So the greater understanding, we have, knowledge we have about the character and attributes and promises of God in our minds with truth, the more our hearts or minds are saturated with truth will lead to a heart that's full of affection for God. It will lead to a heart that can worship in the middle of the difficult times to be able to say, God, I know who you are, and I know what you've promised, and I know what's to come, and that you will send out an army for me, and that you will rescue me. I was thinking, like, how do I illustrate this? And had all kinds of couple cheesy ideas, and I, I came to this. If you can picture, if I had like a little, you know, fireplace right here. Again, here's my imaginary fire. Um, the fireplace is your heart. It's you and I. It's, it's the seed of our heart, our affection. And a fireplace, in order to, to do its job, needs fuel. You need some wood. And the wood or the fuel for the fire of our hearts is the truth of God's Word. So that's there. And then you need a spark. You need a match. You need something that, that lights that on fire. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. When you come before God and say, Lord, and you, and you meditate on His truth, that's when the Spirit of God lights a fire in our hearts. And then the, the, the flame or the, the heat that comes off the fire, that's our affections to God. It's our worship to God. And I know God wants each one of our lives individually and us corporately to be white hot on fire for him. And I know there's seasons in our walks where God seems distant and, and distant from us and we're up and down. And when we fail, we tend to turn our backs and, and say, well, God can't love me. He's mad at me. Come back to him. Look to the cross and let him create a white hot fire in your life and let nothing distract you from that. You were created to worship. That's what we're created to do. Let's do. Second thing on how we're to worship. We are to express outwardly the inward reality of our faith. We're to express outwardly using our bodies in the things that he gave us in our bodies to be worship, worshipful to him, to express what's going on in my heart outwardly. Give you an example here from Psalm 47. There's tons of things in the Psalms, but it says here, Come, everyone, clap your hands. We did that earlier. Let's do it. Shout to God with joyful praise. Can we do that? Ow! For the Lord Most High is awesome. He's the great King of the earth. Sing praises to Him. Sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. He's emphasizing something there. For God is the king over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. Again, we were created for worship. And this is so important that we get this. Worship, it's, it's not if we're going to worship, it's who or what are we going to worship. It's who or what is going to get the best of my affections. Who or what is going to get the best of my praise. Now, um, this afternoon, in Mile High Stadium, there's going to be a lot of affections being poured out to the men in blue and orange, right? Let's be honest. You go to a Bronco game, you realize these, these people are serious. 
And you know me, I'm all for sports and hooting and hollering because I like my teams. But there is an, a, a, a thing that we have to be careful that, honestly, like the Broncos or the Rockies or whoever are not getting the best of our affection, that that's saved and reserved for Jesus. Hooting and hollering for your team, that should just be fun. And if they lose, the sun comes up the next day. I'm a Rockies fan. I know all about losing and being disappointed in my team. And it looks like the Broncos might be the same way this year. But, and I, I enjoy it, but the Broncos should never get the best of my affection. In the Hebrew Scriptures, there's a, a word, Hebrew word for um, worship called halal. And it's actually used more than any other word in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures for, for worship. And that's where you get the root for hallelujah, halal, praise. And the definition is to appear clamorously foolish. Now let's face some facts. You paint your head half blue, half orange, put on a costume, you're, you, ah, you know, you look crazy, right? And we don't look at that and think, oh, that's, they're just Bronco fans, they're just whatever. But if you were to show that kind of affection to God, hey, ease it back a little there, cowboy. Like, why are you such a zealot and Jesus freak when it comes to this? Why do you slow your roll? It's because in the West, we don't get it. We're taught that worship in our walk with Jesus is something that's supposed to be stoic, and it's not. The, it, King David, when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by their enemies and it was brought back to Israel, he worshiped God in such a fashion that he just took all his clothes off and he got down to a loincloth and did all kinds of crazy dances. And people were mocking him. Say, what are you doing, man? You look stupid. And he said, you know what? I'm a, if, because of what happened to the Lord and I want to show him my praise and the, the glory has come back to Israel, he said, I'm going to look more undignified than this. So let's don't get duped into, you know, worship is just some little... Yeah, you know, maybe I get my hands right here or whatever. It's okay to express your affections to God. It's what you were created to do. God gave us hands to clap for Him. God gave us hands to raise to Him. That's when maybe you're new to church and you see people raising your hands. Well, that's biblical to raise your hands in worship. I remember the, the very first day I went to, a, to church when I was 25. And I walked in and everybody was raising their hands in worship, and I was like, does the pastor, how's he going to answer all their questions at the same time? Why are they doing this? Truth is, Pastor Russ, you were preaching that day, so, but I, re I remember going, what is this? And then I, you know, you read the Bible, and you realize it's an expression of worship, to sing, to shout, to kneel. These are all outward expressions of worship. And then lastly, we're to worship as a way of life. Romans 12, 1, so then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. And I love how the message, the message is a paraphrase. It's not a translation of the Bible. It's not something that I would recommend that you read only, but sometimes it can, it can lift out the meaning of a text and make it a little more colorful. And here's what the message says in that same verse. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So any activity that you and I do besides sin, something that's forbidden in the Scripture, can be an act of worship. Your work is an act of worship to God. You're going, really? I hate my job. Well, if you do it with a good attitude and with thankfulness, it's an act of worship. Let me meddle a little bit. You're driving. Some of you are going, oh, no, you didn't. I did, though. Because we can drive to the glory of God. Our eating, our drinking, our exercise, our hobbies, everything. This is why I love, you know, what I said earlier about we're created to worship, but God gives us freedom in how we express that in our everyday lives and the things that even, you know, burn in our hearts to do. We have that freedom to do that. You were created to worship. It's not if you're going to worship, but who or what is going to get the best of your affections. Thank you that you meet us where we're at, Lord. I so appreciate that. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives individually. We want to be a people who worship you. White hot on fire for you with love and thankfulness because of what you've done for us. May God bless you with a worshipful heart. May you encounter him in deeper ways and praise and worship to him in prayer and truth. You worship him in spirit and in truth for his glory. Amen. Lord, thank you. Yeah.